Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I'm joined today by both co-hosts, Lisa Cooper. Hello. And Diana Franganilo. Hi. It's nice to have all three of us together, I think, for the first time. <laughs> That's right. We, we need to do this Indeed. more often. <laughs> so on today's episode, as the world, or at least parts of the world, start to open up as people get vaccinated more, the world is opening a bit up more to travel, and Europe has opened up to U.S. passengers, tourists. There are more, certainly, domestic flights happening. And so we wanted to talk a bit about the international travel experience and what that looks like in a post-COVID world, or at least a recovering from COVID world. We have one of us, Lisa, who recently took one of these journeys from the U.S. over to the U.K., and so we I want, certainly did. <laughs> and so we wanted to talk a bit about her experience with that, some of the user experience issues that she had during <laughs> her, her trip uh, and ways that that could be improved. So what we want to do is kind of take, have Lisa take us through the user journey of her journey. So why don't we start, Lisa, at the beginning? Yeah, first step in a in a international trip is is searching for and getting plane tickets. Were there any differences in that experience as you would have had pre-pandemic? Only in terms of are you a amber country, are you a red country, or are you a green country? So obviously if you're going to be amber, you know that you're going to be in quarantine. And if you're red, then you're going to be quarantining at the airport. So this will affect whether or not you actually decide to travel mm. or, or buy a ticket. In my case, I came in from the US, so I was an amber country at that time. So because of that, then you have to go ahead for US to UK trips. You have to pre-book COVID tests. You have to do one within three days before. You have to do one two days after you arrive, another one eight days after you arrive, and you can get one at five days as well, which would get you out of isolation early. But you still have to take the eight-day one. In order to do that, you have to go with a uh, one of their listed companies um, to do that. So there's a lot more there's a lot more work involved if you're coming from an amber-listed country. And you have to be prepared to do all of this testing. So that's that's f for flying from the U.S. to the U.K. And each yes. country is going to have its own different restrictions as to who can come in or what you have to do in order to get into that country. And so that's a lot more burden and, and a really big issue on the part of the person trying to buy the ticket to see whether they should buy the ticket because they have to know for each country that they might be passing through or going to what the rules are for that. And yes. those, those... Anyway, and you have to have proof. You have to have proof that you have all those tests booked. 
and that you've got your results back in time. Those results have to come back within those three days. So, you know, there's a lot of paperwork you have to have with you. Some companies over Christmas time, they were charging, I mean, some labs were charging a premium, like, for example, additional 200 pounds if you need to get uh, the results guaranteed within 72 hours, for example, because otherwise it's no, it wasn't guaranteed. And, and another comment I was going to make is that the color of the country is, can be quite dynamic as well. So like uh, the case for Portugal, when Portugal opened for overseas traveling for the UK, so it was green. And then in less than two weeks, I believe it was back to amber. So yeah, those distinctions can switch on a dime overnight and leave people that thinking that they could go to some place and either go see friends and family or whatever, suddenly find that they have to quarantine at a government sponsored hotel or have to cancel their trips. And yeah, with the COVID test, having to have that done three days before and have the results in your hand, there have been instances certainly where the lab either through errors in scheduling or errors in the paperwork filed or whatever, people didn't get their tests in time to board the plane. And so there, there's a lot of additional risk involved in just being able to step onto that flight. And you need to have those additional uh, tests booked in order for them to let you onto the flight. They want to see proof that you have those tests booked on arrival as well. So if you, I, I think I've, I've read that some people will forget or didn't know that they had to do a day eight test. And so those things would have to be sorted out before they get on the plane. Um, so it's, there's a lot to, to sort out in addition to your tickets. And of course it's, it's changing. So when it came to actually booking the COVID tests, how, how easy was that to do? On the UK side, so there were a list, uh, there were lists of accepted providers and I just chose someone from that list and I chose one that offered a package for day one, day five and day, sorry, day two, day five and day eight. Uh, so booking it wasn't a problem at all. Receiving uh, those tests though, those were sent out to the address I was going to prior to me leaving, which was a problem. Uh, because this was a rental and I wasn't in it yet. Uh, so I didn't know if I would get those tests. And actually, I didn't get all of the tests. I only got test two and test eight. Test five was missing. So I had to then call the lab uh, and sort that out. And then we had to switch numbers. The other tests that did arrive, though, they were put uh, through the fence and they were found on the floor. They were found on the ground in the garden. The other issue, though, and maybe I'm skipping ahead here, is that you don't get your test results immediately. So if you take day two, you're not getting your results till day four. <laughs> day five's test, which you're trying to take to get out of isolation, you don't get the results till day seven. So... Was it really worth it? I don't know. Day eight, you won't get those results till day 10. And you got them through the email. So um, I'm glad that I got the results through email, but it took a couple of days. So that waiting, that waiting for the results, I wish was more seamless and quicker. Were the tests saliva as well or were they the other type or? 
they were swabs of the nose that you could do. So those are quite easy. So the, the booking and the taking of the COVID tests is a, is a whole new level in, in trying to do this kind of travel. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a lot to add anyway to the stress of in, an international travel. Yeah. I mean, you need to get lots of things prepared for traveling or for relocation. And, and then there is this on top of that. So what about the airport arrival? Because I think it has changed quite a bit since last, I mean, last time I stepped into an airport, it was feeling really, really different. What was your experience in the States? So airport arrival was very unexpected. I had to enter the airport alone, so families couldn't go in and that was unexpected. So there were children crying because they we actually watched someone's child cry because they didn't expect to leave their father so soon after arriving there because they couldn't go into the airport. So there you are with so many bags and no help to get that into the airport. Once in there, things were different. The layout was different as far as where you had to go to get to ticketing. Um, and they needed proof of all that information. As I said before, they needed to see all that information before they would talk to you. That was um, definitely stressful because all the layout had changed. It was difficult to know where to go. And I was at JFK Airport. And that no, the, the easiest one. <laughs> JFK. Hmm? Not the easiest airport. <laughs> no, JFK stressful on no. the best of days. No. And then if you get onto security, that, to be honest, was the most stressful. Normally, if if I would say in most people's experience, you go to the uh, security gate and, and you have the belts that you take your things out, your bags, and you put them on the belts, and then they go through the x-ray machine. Well, they had three um, places at the end of the belt, so that three people at once, three individual passengers, could load all of their bags and everything onto the belt. Well, this meant then that bags were intermingled with other passengers' bags. So that once you got on the other side of the metal detector, where's my bag? Because now you're seeing other people's bags, your bag, then other people's bags, then your bag. On top of that, because of COVID cleaning regulations, you couldn't put the trays on the ground. And some people, because they're trying to hold everything else, had put them on the ground and they got yelled at. No one was very friendly. It was actually quite stressful. And so all of that was very messy and everybody was very testy. It, it really was awkward. And then because you're having to have space between you and the person in front, that also complicated things. And that day that I traveled, there were actually sniffer dogs and I had to walk, you had to walk in pairs, distanced from the people in front and people behind while a sniffer dog went between the passengers. Um, and that was something I've never experienced before. Was there significantly less people traveling on those no. dates? No. 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 It was, it was a lot of people. In fact, the flight I was on was almost full. It yeah. was... Well, they would have reduced the number of flights, so... They did, yeah. Flight they reduced the number of flights. As full as they can make it. 
Was there anything about the flight itself or the boarding process or the deplaning process that, that would have been different? Uh, just everyone was wearing masks, so that was good. But, of course, everyone's taking them off when they eat. Uh, and there was more restrictions. There wasn't as much. There were no snacks, things like that. Uh, but there was a meal. But there was no socially distance. There was no social distancing in terms of seating. Yeah. That had gone. That wasn't there. Would have been a good idea to service. I mean, to do the food service in a sequential way, kind of like maybe window and aisle, and or I don't know, rather than everybody eating at the same time, just kind of like maybe row one, row three, or something like that, to avoid everybody just getting rid of the masks right. at the same so time. So at least you have some people masked and some people not masked. Yeah. To have at least some sort of protection if there was something. No, that, yeah. that would be a good thing to do. It was challenging for the flight attendants, obviously, because they're seeing so many people and they're going up and down those rows. But one thing that was very surprising was how many children were on the flight. I was actually quite surprised at that. And of course, children aren't wearing their masks and they're the ones not vaccinated. So that was that was a real surprise. I was going to say I took a one-hour flight last year to go on holidays when my child was quite little, so he wasn't disciplined enough to wear the mask. For me, it was really uncomfortable seeing how people were getting quite close to him, realizing that he wasn't wearing a mask. And he's like, cannot you leave a little bit of room and space? And I mean, we are all going to board the plane and we are all going through X-ray and everything. So, So, yeah, I mean, now... A year later, I can say that he's disciplined, so I can take him to a supermarket if I am by myself and he's going to be wearing a mask and so on. But but yeah, it's quite stressful. And and I decided last year that until he wasn't disciplined enough to wear it, I wouldn't travel with him again on a plane, nor on a train either. So, yeah. So how was it going through customs after you got off the plane? Was it more crowded than normal? There was no social distancing. There were so many people. In the amber countries, the red countries got their own area to wait. I know that prior to that, maybe a week or two prior to that, they did not. And there was a lot of complaints about that because there was a long waiting time. Well, they got to go through much faster. But the amber listed countries, it was a very long wait and no one was socially distancing. It was you were all on top of each other, you know, snaking around to get through customs. And then, um, I'm sorry, this sounds like a lot of complaining, but it was a very difficult process. But that was a, that was quite a long wait. I know it was shorter than prior to that week because I, I'd seen articles that the wait time was really long hours for people in customs. Um, so it wasn't that, it, it was probably about an hour, I believe, I had to wait for customs with all those people. Everybody was masked, but they were not socially distanced. Yeah, I've heard those times can be up to six hours. Mm. So after going through customs, you get your bags and you start to exit the airport. Were there changes at Heathrow on that end in terms of what that experience is like? Because normally you, you get your bags and you exit and there's a throng of people and people trying to get you to get in their taxis and offer you rides and people with holding up signs to pick up people. Was that any different? 
There were fewer people uh, waiting, but there were people waiting, so they weren't as, you know, restrictive on the UK end as they were on the US yeah. end. They allowed them where in. For they allowed, yes, they allowed them in. So um, that wasn't an issue, but it wasn't very busy in terms of that. And they encouraged people to just move along. I think people wanted to just move along and get out. <laughs> The thing was, customs took so long to clear that all of the bags had already been taken off the plane, had already gone round and round the conveyor belt, and had been taken off of the conveyor belt and were just sat. So you just went over there, found your bag, and took it away. And at that end, at the UK end, it, it was less busy for sure. There wasn't, because customs took so long, People were sort of dribbling out. It wasn't the big throng of people. Instead, people were being exposed to each other in that line when they were waiting to get through. So, yes, I did think about security because those bags were just sat there in a group. No one watching them. Anyone could have picked anyone's bag up. Whereas that's similar when you're going around, when it goes around the conveyor belt, but at least normally in a normal scenario, you're all stood waiting for your bags. You've got other eyes on it, but but there was no one there. There were just bags in a room. <laughs> you just went over and grabbed your bags. So Lisa, how often would you prepare to do another travel overseas in this situation? For me personally, if I wasn't relocating right now, I would not have done it. I will probably wait until the pandemic has calmed, calmed to a degree where all of these restrictions are dropped, you know, and you don't have any of the amber countries and all of that. But that's my personal comfort with it. It just was way too stressful. I've, I, I don't think in all my years of travel, I've ever had that much of a stressful experience trying to get to the plane that was the worst. That was the hardest. Normally, there's a wait after, you know, through customs. But for me, trying to figure out all of the the testing. And by the way, the government did check up on me and came to my door. They came to my house twice. And they were supposed to call, but the government would call my cell phone. And every time I they called, I would try and get it and I would miss them. And so that caused a degree of stress too, because they would call, I'd be out of the room. I didn't have my cell phone on me. So then I'd hear it ring. I would go to it and I would just miss them. And did, you, did, they, did you say that they make, that they make a physical check? Did, you go, did they go to do your address? They came to my address twice. Oh, wow. That's good to know that they, they are checking whether people are being respectful with the quarantine periods. Okay, well, thank you, Lisa, for taking us through the uh, journey of your journey. If anyone out there would like to know more about user journeys or the user experience work that we do, you can email us, as always, at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, as links to our recent research, and there you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. 
Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.